Hi, good morning and welcome to Boom, It's on the Blockchain. We've found Garrett, everybody. We've found him. He's been disappeared. He's I'm left back. the world for three years. He's back. Tell us what you've been up to, Garrett. <laughs> Tell us what you've been up to. Yeah, just um, it's, it's been a lot of work-related stuff and, um, you know, I've been pretty busy with, um, you know, it's just some just different family things as well. And, uh, you know, we're back here. We are ready to uh you know start doing these shows again and I'm, I'm pretty excited um there's a lot of great content as of the past 72 hours to speak about and um they also um you know we're hot off the heels of uh, cop 27 so really excited to be back on back online with you yeah, yeah perfect so there we go cop 27 future of green cryptocurrencies I'll, I'll bring in the graph that they love to show straight away then, Garrett. This is what's happening yeah. with the world, everybody. Let's have a look. That's basically the temperature for the world. It doesn't look too good, Garrett, if you look at that there. Global temperature trend from uh, zero when Jesus was born until 2019 AD. And look at it there. It's gone, it's gone along there. It's sort of Moved along, went down a little bit in the 1500s, but look at it, it's skyrocketed up to 2000. And if we don't know watch what we're doing right now, Garrett, it's just going to go straight up. The thing you've got to realize, and I know that, you know, this graph, they love to pull this graph out, but you've got to put it in perspective with the, the world itself. So if we think the universe, going back in time, is about 13 billion years old, uh, planet Earth is about 4.5 billion years. I know there could be 4.68. It depends on you know when our specific galaxy and the sun was created, etc. But I pulled another graph out there for people to actually have a look over the last 500 million years. Now, we've gone to climate.gov. So this website's actually from scientists, Garrett, you know. So if we yeah. have a look at this right now, and this puts in perspective, and this is why people think, oh, well, the, the planet, you know, uh, I don't think we can control global warming. You know, this is the first thing. Look, 500 million years ago, the average temperature was essentially over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. So at that moment in time, this was the world without polar ice caps. So when they talk about the world going into sort of glacier movements, and essentially for people to understand is a lot of it's to do when, you know, because the world rotates in an axis, so, and then we go around the sun. So with 365 days, it takes us to go around the sun and 24 hours it does. But it spins a little bit like that. So it's not a perfect circle, everybody. It's a sort of sphere. So at points in history, we're moving a little bit further away from the sun. And it's only like small degrees, but it makes a huge difference to the temperature. So if we sit and look at that there, Garrett, sort of puts a little bit more in perspective because the first graph, we're in at 0 0.3 degrees. So it looks a bit of a disaster. Look at that. And if we don't watch what we're doing, it's going to go up to 0 0.6 degrees higher than what it is. But if we look at this one, Garrett, we bring it in there. We're way down here, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's it's really kind of crazy, um, you know, when you do zoom out and start to look at it. I mean, I'm <clears throat> personally kind of a believer that... Um, you know, there might be a lot of things that we're using nowadays that are unsustainable in the sense of, um, you know, in an economic sense um, or, 
you know, there's different kinds of pollution that we see associated with industries. Um, you know, with, with the air pollution as it is um, kind of known within the oil and gas space and everything, that's the number one thing people focus on. Um, they, they, they don't focus a lot on the extraction and water pollution, which I think is way more critical to, um, you know, all of our well-being and the well-being of communities that live around these reserves. Uh, because water is, um, you know, so crucial to, you know, our ability to, to fish, to, um, you know, d do many different things, you know, have clean water to drink. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of different ways to, to kind of look at the pollution aspect. And um, with COP27, this was interesting because every couple of years, and I was kind of told this by um, somebody I know with the Houston City Mayor's Office, that basically told me that, you know, COP26 was big because it was, you know, in the UK, um, there's a very big um, mark that that made. They had a lot of big attendees, but with COP27, there weren't a lot of people um, really willing to show, show up from kind of the Western world. It was a different tone. And I, I really do think that there's um um, we're, we're kind of going into a phase where I don't think a lot is going to be done in the name of this uh, crusade. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I agree with you there as well, Gareth. I think that the reason I wanted to show these original graphs is to make people realize that we cannot control the temperature. You know, this is the first thing. We're not going to suddenly get this model whereby suddenly we're going to control temperature. I think what we've got to realize is, you know, at this moment in time, we are here, but as, you know, I always think humans are like locusts and we're munching through everything as fast as we can and we're eating into the animal kingdom because ultimately during that period of time, if you look at back the history of evolution, you know, the animals were able to move around there as well. So when it got too yeah. hot, we were able to go north there as well, but we've now basically eaten into their territories. So there's nowhere for them to go this time. So, you know, You've got these reserves for elephants and things like that in Africa, but before they just used to traipse all over the world, whatever it is with the environment. So, you know, whatever we are doing, we've got to think of us like locusts, which is one of the first things. I think the other thing, I'll bring this article in that I think is quite interesting as well, Guy. Let's bring this in. You know, COP27, this is the big one that they're all talking about. Island nations want China, India to pay for climate damage. So now they're wanting to create this fund where everyone who's created the most CO2 emissions has to pay into it, you know? So here we go. I'll just read a little bit from it. This is from Egypt this week in Reuters. Highly polluting emerging economies, including China and India, should pay into climate compensation fund to help countries rebuild after climate change-driven disasters, the prime minister of the island nation of Antigua and Barbuda said on Tuesday. So the comments mark the first time that the two nations have been lumped into a list of major emitters that island states say should be held accountable for the damage that's being wrought by global warming. And then we'll just show you a little bit in terms of, you know, where the polluters are right now. So as much as everyone likes blaming the U.S. on pollution, if you can't look at it, current pollution, 30% of the world's global CO2 emissions are coming from India. No, I mean, coming from China. So they've got over 10 million tons of CO2 released. The States is around about half that with 5 million uh, tons. 
And then India is catching up very quickly with the essentially, uh, well, 2 billion tons it is, um, 10 billion tons, 5 billion tons, and then Russia is over a billion tons, then Japan. The interesting thing that we see with, um, you know, when you look at India and China, is that they're quite notorious for um, the the smog in the cities, the, the just unbearable smog. Uh, the United States, I mean, the only area in the entire U.S. that I know has a significant smog issue is uh, Los Angeles. And so I, I think um, it's interesting that we, we might distribute our, our pollution so well. I'm not saying that's a good thing, but we distribute it so well, it's decentralized. Yeah, the Democrats really know- <laughs> yeah you don't really notice you, you it. Know, you know, see you- Republicans, people. Oh, wait a minute, yeah. they do all the coal mining in that. If you, if you look from space at CO2 emissions, it's the 10 million people driving around LA stuck in traffic, blasting smog into the environment, as Garrett says, not like two guys living in a field in the middle of nowhere in Kentucky. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. it, it's true. So, it's people, it's, it's, the, it's the Democrats well, treat more CO2 emissions than you Republicans. You know, yep. like the, the midterms, the red wave, of the President Trump or ex-President Trump claimed it's more of a sort of didn't, didn't you know, happen. I want to. <laughs> I'm waiting on him to come out of the shadows. I uh, <laughs> yeah. I hope uh, yeah, the I red hope he comes out of the shadows. I mean, I'm not a big fan, but yeah. So it's the it's the, it's the orange makeup and the you know the hairdo and stuff that's not quite working the way it used to. It's because he stopped winning. You know, back in 2016, he always said. You know, we've won now, we'll win, and we'll always keep winning. But now he's on a bit of a losing streak. <laughs> he lost the midterm yeah, Congress when he was in, lost the election. It's going to be very, very difficult for him to turn this around. And, uh, you know, the only thing that I think, uh, you know, when I, when I look at things, at, you know, you look at the markets at large, I'm just kind of just dipping over to the S&P 500. And this is in the wake of some layoffs and whatnot. You know, it's it's off a couple percent. You know, we're in the green today. Um, things look better. And the, the the thing is, is Trump would need to to bring the Republicans back into power. He would need to be coming out and have uh, the ability to point at a terrible economy or point at our, our direct involvement um, in, you know, the war in Ukraine or something like that, um, which I do think both of those things will eventually get weaponized potentially before the end of the year, um, you know, and that's on the, you know, most economists kind of agreeing with that. But as, of th- as things look right now, I mean, we're in a reasonably uh, – recovering economy the cpi came out today at 7.7 percent annual inflation for the you know average of this month the um uh i don't know i, I think it's going to be i don't I believe it. it's going to be tough you know yeah i think i'm very much under the assumption that we don't even need to wait till next year i think that just with the stagnant nature, um, and you know, they call it stagflation, the stagnant nature of where our economy is at combined with the telltale signs of a recession, you know, you just have to look to things like tech layoffs and, um, you know, and war as well. And um, 
that's and then the inflation is incredibly high. I mean, it's still not as high as it was in the 1980s, but every little piece of this plays a part in a perfect storm. And that storm, you know, we might be able to delay it, but I don't think we can miss it. Yeah. And I think a lot that we're speaking about the, you know, the strategic petroleum reserves in the US right now have never been lower. And then ultimately, has Biden been releasing loads of the strategic petroleum reserves recently to keep the, you know, the, the cost of fuel down in the pumps until after the midterms? So we'll find out beginning of next year what's actually going to be happening with this. But but the problem is that, you know, as the, uh, the you know, as inflation's increasing and the cost of borrowing goes up, so when the Fed puts interest rates up, suddenly we're borrowing less money. And as the economy essentially starts to slow, then the price of gas comes down less anyway, because less of us, we're using less of it. So we're shipping less goods, we're buying less goods. As you said, there's more layoffs, there's less people driving, and all these things. And it doesn't take much, you know, an economy shrinking by 0.1%, 0.2%. People think, well, that doesn't sound too bad. But if you think of opportunity, if the economy's not growing, then you're going to have less opportunity this quarter compared to last quarter. It's as simple as that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, and it's a, it's a, a like perception money. thing too. Um, when you have perception of stagnancy or you know just backwardation, you're falling back to you know numbers that people have seen before. It ends up kind of snowballing in a direction where people start chirping recession 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 and you know you say that long enough uh people begin to act apart so yeah plus it is a recession it's just the white house made an announcement you know traditional uh economics finance i went to business school that studied economics two quarters of negative growth is a recession that's it you know i yeah. mean that's the, that's the rule so even though that's the, what it is yeah even though the u.s has had two quarters of negative growth it was Biden that made his announcement from the White House. You know, who who said two quarters of negative goes to recession? It's not a recession. We don't agree it's a recession. It's just like, well, wait a minute. That's the rules of a recession. Just because you said it doesn't fit in with your policy and look good. You can't say that, which is crazy to me. And then people on NPR, it's like people who listen to NPR, which I normally quite like anyway, it's essentially, you know, 87% liberal listen to that uh, network. So if you're a liberal... You know, it doesn't matter how smart they are. It's a bit like the ones there. They're still giving you an agenda based on who the viewership and the listeners are from that sort of uh, media outlet. And that's how it works, people. So, you you know, if you get a thing, if you only listen to Fox News, you've got to realize they're biased to the conservatives and Republicans. You know, if yeah. you're listening to NPR, they're biased that way. So they're going to push a narrative to make you believe that this is this way and that's this way. That's why you want to go to multiple different media outlets there as well. Bringing up one last one, I wanted to show this one in terms of uh, this is the ex Extinction Rebel activists glue themselves to Picasso. So this was actually last month on my birthday, October the 9th. But this was in Australia. This is people who used... Um, they decided to stop oil, the extinction rebellion that's coming in. They've used petroleum-based products, glue, <laughs> to glue themselves to Picasso, you know. 
It's like the other ones do wow. paint or something, stuff like that as well. Two yeah, it's become quite there. a thing. Yeah, it's like, and but again, what's weird about this stuff, and it comes back to what we'll talk about in a second when we're looking at the cryptocurrencies, is it's to do with the narrative, Garrett. So there they are. They've glued themselves to this. It's actually glass. They haven't ruined the Picasso, everybody, you know, so... And so anyway, it won't be there. But they've used petroleum-based products to come there because, you know, if anyone wants to understand how glue works, just uh, it's an adhesive. And in that adhesive, there is petroleum-based product. So you've actually used oil to glue yourself to the, the Picasso. But ultimately, it's like an agenda and it becomes a bit of a cult, you know, and they're stopping themselves in road. Oh, we just need to save the environment. We just need to do this. But it comes back to it. But they'll still be using Chinese product, which is made from coal. So as we keep saying every single time in this show, Garrett, is if you take a product from China, that chi that product is manufactured using coal power. So why are we not doing more against coal? And why are we not pushing against coal production? When China's opening coal plants, where India's opening coal plants, you know, you've got a choice. You're a consumer. You go into the store. If it says made in China, you should make the assumption, I'm not using that product. It's a bit like Apple. All Apple's products are manufactured using coal power or over 90% of it. So ultimately, if you've got an iPhone like I do, that's made from coal, everybody. So am I going to use that? I'm not going to sit there and go, well, I don't want to help the environment because they've used coal power to create my iPhone. But you've got to move a bit further forward than this because it's just like we're not prepared to speak out against India. We're not spared to speak out against China. You know, the guy from Antigua is wanting stuff to put in a fund. But essentially, China's come out and said they're not going to do anything, any cutbacks until 2070. So in 2069, President Xi or President Xi's son, whoever's coming in next in line for the, the throne over out in China, he might say, well, I'll tell you what, guys, we're not going to make our cutbacks by 2070. We'll wait to 2100. But here's the weird thing about it is they make all our product. So they're the world's factory. See, I don't blame China or India at all. And the people might think, oh, that's outrageous because they use coal production. Why not? They're the world's factory. We are over here in the West. We're wanting to be green. You know, China, you make our product, ship it all over here. CO2 emissions and shipping's massive as well. We get the product that comes here. It's not China's fault. We're placing the orders in Amazon. We want our product. We don't care how it's manufactured. We're doing that. And then... And in, in this sort of curveball, and this is what really does my head, and I'll tell you what, I'll bring in the next article for this type thing is, you know, let's have a look at, this is the new article we'll bring in right now, which is related to it. So let's talk about Bitcoin. So let's talk about the CO2 emissions of Bitcoin itself. Well, this is Cambridge University, and they've got a new tool that estimates Bitcoin's greenhouse gas emissions. So this is what they've done. This report's come out. I don't know if you've seen it or not at all. So essentially, here it comes in. You know, there, there have been many claims and counterclaims about Bitcoin's environmental impact, some far-fetched and based on oversimplification. So it's important to realize that the issue of Bitcoin's environmental footprint is more nuanced and complex than a quick glance might suggest. So essentially, they've come up with this here whereby the new tool that Cambridge University has created estimates the current greenhouse gas emissions of 48.35 million tonnes of carbon dioxide is equivalent to 0.1% of the global greenhouse gas emissions. 
So this is how much Bitcoin actually creates, you know, 0.1%. So, but we go after Bitcoin, we go after cryptocurrency as if this is somehow going to kill the planet. But there on the flip side, Garrett, you've got like 30% coming from China. So, and it's incredible that they go after specific things rather than actually go into detail. And the way they've written this article from Cambridge University is it's made out so it's like, you know, well, look at Bitcoin's problems and what they're creating. But ultimately, it's absolutely tiny in the grand scale of things, you know? What are your thoughts on it, Garrett? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things where I think, um, you know, it's blown probably a little bit out of proportion. Some people say that, uh, you know, they, they think Bitcoin will keep being, being this runaway energy consumer. I don't think so. I think it's probably better off um, as long as it stays kind of within that range. It It's bound to such economic principles that, you know, somebody has to create the hardware for mining. Somebody has to, you know, be willing to buy it. And the price of Bitcoin has to be in an equilibrium where they're going to break even at some point in the future, you know, however long that ends up being. And, um, yeah, that's, that's one of the things that we've seen is uh, – I think that there's a successful way for coins to switch to proof of stake, you know, which most have done by now. They've switched to some sort of uh, different we'll bring, validation. We'll bring this article that you explain. This is this is the big one that people have seen there, Garrett. This has gone from Ethereum. So their energy usage carbon footprint is down 99.99% after the merge. So just explain what happened here because that's just highlighting your point with essentially the second biggest crypto. Yeah, it's, it's very cool what they did. They, they switched to proof of stake um, instead of having uh, the proof of work mining to create the, the new coins. And, um, you know, carbon, the carbon footprint's down 99.99% after this. Um, some people argue that Bitcoin could do the same thing. I don't personally think it will come under the scrutiny uh, anytime soon to make that jump. I, I think that, um, you know, we're at a point in time um, that, that the price of Bitcoin is low enough and the, the difficulty is high enough that, um, for instance, it's really not worth it for a lot of miners to keep the lights on and pay for the electricity. They, you know, the, that's the thing at the end of the day, electricity costs money. And these miners will be forced to capitulate. You know, they're forced to capitulate their coins to pay for the electricity or whatever other expenses. And, um, you know, we're really to a point where, um, you know, it, it's arguable that, um, you know, that natural cycle of like, hey, it's just not economically worth it to mine. Um that comes into play and kind of balances things out. And it's like, well, we really will never be above 0.01% of the world energy consumption just due to, you know, the basics of economics, you know, it's like very basic guns and butter economics where um, we won't end up needing or people won't end up wanting to spend to, you know, uh, operate these miners or buy new computers or, you know, contribute to the e-waste. Um, I would almost say that the e-waste piece of it is more detrimental to the environment 
than uh, like saying, okay, it came from coal energy or, you know, the flare gas or whatever. It, it's kind of, it's all very crazy, but I, I don't envision that um, it's as big as a problem as people think it is. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the, the bit in the article I wanted to just say, focus on is the report commissioned from the Crypto Carbon Rating Institute. So there's an institute out there that tracks all this stuff by Ethereum. It's run by consensus for Ethereum. Claims that Ethereum now uses approximately 99.99% less energy than before the merge was completed. It also suggests that the blockchain's carbon footprint has dropped by just over 99.99% as well. So yeah, obviously Uh consensus is running this thing. But it, may, it puts it in perspective. And it's also, you know, that previous article that we brought up, Garrett, you know, they were looking at um, Bitcoin. So University of Cambridge says, well, Bitcoin, you know, because we were claiming it created the same amount of CO2 emissions as Argentina for a while. And now they're coming out and saying, well, in actual fact, we've worked out and that was a bit overblown. That's what the article says. So go to Cambridge University and it's more like the CO2 emissions of Nepal. So that puts it in perspective. So suddenly Bitcoin's not creating the same CO2 emissions as Argentina. It's more likely creating the same CO2 emissions as Nepal. But what we're starting to see is with this proof of stake uh, model that we're now creating so much less CO2 emissions as well. So essentially the blockchain and cryptocurrency going forward isn't going to be creating the same amount of CO2 emissions as first feared. And then you think, why were they actually saying that to us in the first place? And then the other one that I'll just bring in their article quite now as well, and this is the big Spanish company in terms of the energy company. You know, they've got a section, uh, Iberdrola, about uh, green cryptocurrencies on their website. And essentially, what are green cryptocurrencies and why are they important? So now they're starting to talk about this in terms of big energy companies they're focusing on this you know people think cryptocurrencies aren't here to stay but now they're looking for in order to minimize the carbon footprint associated with the first digital currencies alternative models with low environment environmental impact have been developed and these are the so-called green cryptocurrencies and that's what Ethereum does as well. So now you've got the big energy companies focusing on this as well, Garrett. So it just goes to show you it's so topical out there and it's putting things into perspective and people know the blockchain's coming in and it's going to be there for the future. And ultimately, this scaremongering in terms of the general public reading a few articles on there, doing zero research, and now you've got the, the big energy companies. You've got essentially one of the biggest universities in the world now tracking this. You've got consensus running sort of carbon institutes in terms of crypto mining. So all this information is analyzed. And when you put it in perspective with, you know, the other energy emitters and carbon emitters we've got, ultimately crypto and blockchain is tiny. You know, so it's not it's not changing the world here, people. That's the whole point of what's coming there as well. So the future of green cryptocurrency, it's already here. And, you know, the planet increasing its temperature, you know, what crypto is going to be doing to it is going to be so small, it's actually going to have zero to little impact, whereby if we continue to get all our goods and services manufactured from coal production in places like China and India, you know, whatever you're doing back in Scotland's making very, very little difference. 
So let us bring on the next article today, then, Garrett. I'll I'll bring it in just now. You can just talk about it, and then I'll update the. Oh, here we go. Right here, CNBC. It's the big one. Binance backs out of FTX rescue, leaving the crypto exchange in the brink of collapse. This was updated five hours ago. So give us oh, a bit yeah, more on that. This is a developing situation. Uh, <laughs> The FTXs would try to have you believe that it's over. They would try to have you believe that it's all over and everybody's fine. Um, but the, the reality of this is, um, I think, quite different. I think that it's not over. I think that they are being exposed for a lot of uh, a lot of the stuff that they did. I, you know, that that founder Sam Bankman Fried. I mean, he was. Uh, you know, kind of a guy you look at it, you want to see this guy win. Um, that was kind of the, the, the look that he had given to the world. He, you know, people put him out there as like the Mark Zuckerberg of crypto. He was, I think, the youngest uh, billionaire um, last year or something like that. 32 and, billion, uh, it said. It yep, was valuation. Year. At the start, the start of the year, it was valued at 32 billion. Two, two days ago, it was $16 billion. Now it's all wiped out. It's all gone, um, apparently, allegedly. Um, so it, it's one of those things where this guy, um, regardless of what people say about the practices of the company and all this stuff, and I know that, uh, you know, it, it, it's corruption at its finest, actually. Let's just break it down as a, an example of corruption. People in the United States believe they have this belief that, um, you know, Oh, if somebody's saying the government here is corrupt that, Oh, they can't be, that's other countries. Uh, that's other countries that are corrupt and they do that. That's Saudi Arabia, that's China and Russia. There's no way we could be corrupt. That that's tinfoil hat. Well, this is a, a prime example of corruption to the very top. Um, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried was one of the top donors to the Democratic Party and, you know, both, you know, this last midterm election and, you know, the presidential election of 2020. Um, you know, he was a top donor right after Michael Bloomberg for Joseph R. Biden's election to president. Um, and then over the past two years, um, he has uh, been a welcome face in Congress, um, you know, where the SEC has gone after um, you know, other examples and other um, things that they call, you know, whatever they want to call and slap whatever label they want to slap on it. They go after that stuff. But it's interesting if you look at, um, you know, Gary Gensler, who is uh, at once an MIT professor. He was once an MIT professor. And uh, Sam Bankman Fried, who was once an MIT student. And the fact that, you know, Mr. Gensler seemed to have the time to take meetings with this guy. Why was he doing these meetings with this guy when, I mean, I don't get it. Why is he protecting us from Ripple or protecting us from all this other stuff when this is an example, if I had to teach an MIT class on government corruption, I would point exactly to, to these two gentlemen and what they did. And that's illegal by the, by the book, what they did, what Gary Gensler chose to do by taking those meetings with Sam Bakeman Fried that is illegal and that is corruption and it's wrong. Um, and the fact that they just let that happen, they, you know, I'm not saying that I welcome any of this 
regulation, they're going to use this as the scapegoat. I guarantee it. But, you know, and they've said the CFTC and the SEC have both said FTX is in their lens now that it's in their crosshairs. But I will almost guarantee you because of the runaway corruption, it happens with the Republicans, too. I don't agree with either side. It happens in any form of government because of the runaway corruption, just like Do Kwan with with Tara Luna earlier in the year. Nothing will happen to this guy. Absolutely nothing will happen to him. Even if the whole exchange implodes, uh, his fortune is gone. He might walk away with a cool billion dollars and not a single, um, you know, nothing that really affects him. So it's, it's interesting to pick it apart. And when, we, when you look at that and take, it, take all of that and put it to the side because it's opinions, um, you look at the, what it's done to the price. We've never retraced in a previous all-time high. Um, you know, we're, we, we went to 15.9K Bitcoin yesterday, and it's back up to 17 now. But the big gaping hole and the big gaping question here is, um, you know, if you're Tom Brady and Stephen Curry, you're probably wondering the same thing. Where the hell is my money? You're probably waking up today like, well, okay, the price is back up again or whatever. But if you were a customer of FTX like these gentlemen, you're probably wondering, okay, wh- where is my money? <laughs> and um, that's it, well, it's like a bringing big, Tom big, Brady right now. Yeah, it's yeah. a big question for many people today. Um, apparently, Sam Bankman Pride is among one of those people. But um, a lot of people are wondering, you know, customers of FTX, where the hell is my money? <laughs> and um, they're claiming, they're saying that, oh, FTX International was the one having these problems. FTX US, we were fully compliant and they have all the reserves to back everything dollar for dollar. Um, Sam has since deleted some of the tweets uh, claiming that everything was backed dollar for dollar, one to one. And it's, it's very, very interesting just, just to see this unfold. And it's interesting also to see the role that uh, CZ of Binance played in this because what ignited all of this was the fact that CZ held a very substantial portion of the FTT token. And he said one day, he's like, well, uh, I've just decided to sell. And he started selling. And he sold, 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 sold. It decimated the price. It's not quite all the way to being uh, a Luna where it's gone to complete absolute zero. Uh, I think it currently sits at like $3 or something down from like $25. And, you know, it's one of those things where at the end of the day, um, you know, FTX, uh, you know, it it would be to to actually do anything here. You have to look at the situation because this is a great example. And, you know, if, if I was teaching a course on this, if I was teaching a course on just straight pure government corruption and what it is, I would say if you look at this situation and if, if I gave a multiple choice and I'm like, well, what would what would a non-corrupt government do, a non-corrupt administration do? And you gave the students the choice, A, well, they would go and they would arrest everybody. You know, you, you would have the, the regulators get arrested along with uh, their co-conspirators at FTX. 
And then also, in some cases, politicians, everybody would go and you'd get new politicians, new regulators, and then everybody would be vindicated from that. The people would be vindicated, right? Option number two is that, okay, the regulator just turns on this guy, you know, their donor, their previous donor that they happily took money from. And, you know, maybe this guy has some dirt on them and he spews it off or whatever, but they shut him up and they find a way to put the guy in jail and the regulators and the corrupt politicians sit there and, you know, uh, they say bad, bad, look at this example. Um, and then C, which is the, the most corrupt, you know, B is a middle, middle corruption. C is the most corrupt. <laughs> and this, I'm going to tell you, I like it that it's C because this is most likely to happen in this particular circumstance. Nothing happens to anybody. Um, FTX kind of fades away into the shadows. Sam Bankman Fried rides off into the sunset uh, with a billion dollars. That's probably what happens. <laughs> um, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that, like, if I was to teach a course and I was pointing to what corruption is, that's what it is. And that's probably what's going to happen here. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. So it's like, what, where's Binance's position in it when they were one of the essentially the biggest holder of FTX? Yep. And then it comes into the, to the argument where FTX kind of lightly alleges they're like, well, Binance does the same thing. Binance just prints money with their stable coin with BNB. And they're probably, yes, you know, and the reason that they can do that and get away from it. You know, get away with it <laughs> is China. You know, they're backed by China, and China so is corrupt. China. So it's like, yeah. So, so then again, you think of China having such a huge control on the crypto market, even though they come out and say, you know, we're not able to mine Bitcoin in China. And last week we were speaking about the the new uh, digital yen, and we were yeah. looking at. Um, of you know, all these other um, international digital currencies, digital dollar, digital euro, they're all got the white papers out. Uh, they're reporting that the digital yen has been involved in 22 million of transactions already. And nearly all other countries' digital currencies are essentially running five years behind the digital yen. So if you're thinking about it from that perspective, people, it's like they're already the leader in the space in crypto and digital, bar none. Forget about everyone else is talking here. And then B... They've got Binance, which is essentially the biggest, you know, crypto exchange in the world run from China. They're leading the yeah. way with their digital currencies. And we've got FTX, which was essentially set up here in America, but it's got international jurisdiction in the second arm collapsing. And they're needing to get propped up. Actually, by the no, the interesting thing, you'd be surprised. The interesting thing was, is they're actually not. They, they were originally set up in Hong Kong. FTX was in Alameda Research. Sam went to Hong Kong, got his residency in Hong Kong. He left the U.S. And so, then, so how's the U.S. part of it then coming in then? So how the regular because it, it, it comes to say, you know, got it. We're we're behind the curve. The U.S. is behind yep. the curve, and what's going on here? And they're they going moved to it to the Bahamas. They moved their operations from Hong Kong to Bahamas, and then within the Bahamas crypto structure, they created two products. FTX International and FTX US. And their claim is, is that only FTX International is insolvent and FTX US is fine because they followed all the rules. Yeah. 
So that's what we need to get these token exchanges blasting people. You know, the, the government needs to basically encourage uh, investment into blockchain in the same way they're doing. And in India right now, the amount of kids they're putting into blockchain and education is unbelievable. Millions and millions and millions of them are doing blockchain degrees. When here, it's just like people, you know, it's never going to take off. It's not backed against anything. It's like you just look what's happening in the world of finance globally. And the U.S. is just like dropping further and further behind, which is like worryingly a position whereby they should be taking the lead on this right now. And as a case, we need to move forward with this. And, you know, we spoke about tokens. We were I was looking at some of the older podcasts we did with Ron. We were speaking about this as well. But ultimately, you know, what you're saying, Gary, is the whole world's moving into this digital currencies. The whole world, China, we're talking yeah. about China doing so much stuff. And the U.S., because of where we are in the market spaces, we're, we're not going to, it's like we're missing out on this adoption. And all you're doing is you're giving away yes more, and no. and more and more. Yes and no. And here's where I would say no is. Um, oh, there's a good point. If you distill it to the very fundamentals, the U.S. government has complete control still over oh, Bitcoin, over anything. Yeah, yeah, it's got the Because you look at what happened with the case of, um, if you look up the James Zong seizure of $3.3 billion worth of Bitcoin, uh, which actually happened a year ago, the, the, they just released it now, though, the news about it now. It, Bitcoin's completely traceable. They found, you know, the $3 billion in a little circuit board in a popcorn tin in this guy's closet in Georgia. Um, they, you know, the U.S. government, you know, they created SHA-256 encryption, you know, after 9-11. They weren't in the business of creating privacy tech after 9-11. They have a backdoor. They have full control. It's, you know, they just have full control. And then the, the number two thing is that all the stable coins are denominated in the U.S. dollar. Every single stable coin yeah, yeah, is... Exactly denominated in the US dollar. So we have a different kind of control over the the ecosystem that stems from but the they're dollar losing, and- but they're losing control though. It's like by being slow to adopt, it's it, 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 you're still going to be in control because it was the premier currency, got it, you know, but if you're thinking the yeah. world supply of dollars and it was like 2010 71% of essentially the reserve currency across the world was US dollar. Now it's down at 59%. So it's small. Yeah. It's, it's it, the control is still going to be control, but it's like losing. And then again, you know, I'm always on about security tokens and what securitizing these guys are doing out in the market space. But people have to look at that realistically and like put more investment into this thing and more investment into blockchain in digitization in the US to keep up with what China and other countries are doing because ultimately there'll still always be a place but you don't want to fall further and further behind and I think it, that's what's happening out there because we're too afraid oh well I'm afraid the government's going to be tracking what I'm doing government's tracking what you're doing anyway Garrett's just advised yeah. you a backdoor and just because you're putting in a secret chat in WhatsApp are you going to truck smart Mark Zuckerberg? <laughs> yeah, there's oh, like selling that stuff, mate. That, yeah. That's the thing that a lot of crypto guys and a lot of people, just computer people, make the mistake of thinking. They're like, they think the government is in somehow, some way, not the hand that feeds you. That they made this, they made a technology that's not going to serve their interests. 
And that's a completely false notion of security. They, every piece of technology you use, you know, has these back doors built in. Yeah, <laughs> like, if you use this thing like called it. the finger and press a button, they know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Very true. Okay. It's, it's just there as well. So, yeah, we don't want to get too deep into that. But let's bring in like you in the cud right now. We'll bring it up here as well. Now you're back. The Spare Prince. Harry is back. Let's bring him back in here, everybody. So there he is. It's actually called Spare. You know, a bit of a weird title for anybody. You know how much his book's going to be going for? 50 bucks, his book. So he's obviously, after getting back in, the Queen died, went back over there. You know, keeping the title going, he's releasing a new book, Garrett, and this book's going to, you know, dish more dirt <laughs> on the royal family, and it's called Spare because he's the Spare Prince. So ultimately, I don't know whether that's the reason why he wants to be called the Spare Prince, but ultimately, the way it works is, you know, th there's the king, Prince Charles, he has sons, and now they've changed the daughters, whoever's firstborn, okay, they now take the throne. So he was second in line for the throne when there was Wills. But now Wills has had a few kids. So now he's moved further down. So he's now fifth or sixth in line for the throne. And then his kid will be even further. He's about 18th in line for the throne. So it goes down quite quickly when you're doing this. And obviously needs a little bit more cash. So he's he's released this new book that he's going to dish the dirt on everyone. Netflix is basically, you know, he's into them for $100 million. <laughs> It's it's like signing a it's like signing over your um, a deal with the devil when you go with those guys. You know what I mean? Apparently, he's not happy with the new Crown series. What's happened? But you know, Netflix yeah, he's he's the gone the full route of the American way: turn on, tune in, and sell out. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Anyway, oh. so there he's coming out anyway. Well. It's 50 bucks if you want to get the hard button copy. I had a quick look at uh, his, uh, what they're doing with Amazon. If you want it, he's actually reading the book to you as well. So you can get it on Google. You can get it like the audio book in Google, $17.99. Oh, look, and that's $25. It's the, oh, sorry, it's the audio CDs, $50. So if you want the one that's read by Prince Harry, it's $50. If you want to read it yourself, it's $25. <laughs> unbelievable isn't it ah well so that's just bringing in there as well so good to see prince harry keeping things real anyway for us you know there it is chewing the cud just when the world's going to recession don't worry prince harry's feeling it tough in the old coffers he'll be able to get that i read that prince charles is now worth around about 400 million about half, it's not bad actually the crown jewels, he's got a lot of stuff that he obviously doesn't put into the pot in terms of his valuations, you know. But anyway, instant cash. Harry's got a few quid himself, 25 million his mother gave him, and then some extra cash that he's picked up with his Netflix and his Spotify deals that he's doing. And now he's doing this. Prince Harry, the Duke of Sussex, reveals all in his latest book of slagging off the royal family one more time. He's actually got nothing else he can talk about, really. Is there anything else Prince Harry talks about that's interesting to you? Honestly, I don't I don't follow <laughs> it that closely. I just know that he's kind of the other brother. They kind of cast him to the side. They don't really want him to be part of things anymore. So Yeah, he left he left and moved to Hollywood. He's the Hollywood prince and stuff like that as well. So 
So that well, that's good anyway, Garrett. So great to have you back on the show. We're coming up to our fifty minutes anyway, which is usually the target time. We spoke. Yeah, I got a jump. So in crypto, <laughs> we spoke about Binance and FTX. We've got a few guests lined up for the next three weeks as well. So the guests awesome. are piling in. If you want to appear on the show, come on there. We'll talk about yourself. We'll talk about your project, and we'll get your, um, you know. <clears throat> essentially influence and updates on the cryptocurrency market space thank you garrett once again enjoy life down in mexico off grid i'm here stuck in california it's a little bit sunnier today it's been raining the last few days you've been watching boom it's on the blockchain thanks again garrett thanks to everyone out there have a nice day bye-bye